Welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. Uh, we began a series a couple of weeks ago called 100, and I'll just remind you again, it will not be 100 sermons leading up to Easter, but it's 100 days beginning of January 13th leading up to Easter Sunday. And uh, in, in these 100 days, we're, as important, we are introducing a clear paths to how a person connects, to, uh, uh, connects and grows in their faith in Jesus Christ here at Bethesda. Uh, if you are new to faith, if you are new to Bethesda and you're wondering how do I get connected to the body of Christ, the community here at Bethesda, uh, we, we want to display to you today and want you to observe four steps that are not in sync, really, because many people have been here and have followed Christ for a long time. But uh, it's the, the beginning step is to follow Christ. And we know that people here in this service that are uh, on a journey have not made that commitment, uh, but you are here and you're curious, and uh, we're thankful for that. Growing deeper and also uh, serving others and giving generously. Giving generously means uh, uh, giving back to the Lord what belongs to the Lord and giving to the kingdom and the vision that uh, God has for uh, Bethesda here in this community. And so we'll talk further as we move along. Um, but I want to start the third part of this uh, mess, uh, series today by saying this, that making right decisions is so important, isn't it? Just think about for a moment the decisions that you made uh, this week alone. For some, it's obviously a business decision. Uh, other, maybe a relationship uh, decision, not to date that guy or that girl, all right? And others, it could be um, an educational decision, but think about the decisions that you've already made in your life. Think, let me imagine if, you, if you, uh, you made the decision to marry the very first person you dated. I'm just going to let that lay there for a minute. Uh, maybe you're, you're here and you, you're married the first person you dated, and that's wonderful, I, I guess. Don't look to your left or to your right. Imagine uh, if you stayed at that job and didn't get re-educated. Imagine if you stayed at the very first job that you had. Think about that job that you had. It was a full-time job. It's the first time you ever got a paycheck. You, 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 know, you calculate this is a lot of money. I only got $20 a week or $10 a week. Or in my day, I had 50 cents a week for my allowance. Yep. And, and, and so you went from that to a full-time job, and you're thinking, this is a lot of money. You start adding it up, and, and you go, I think I'm going to stay at this job for the rest of my life, pumping gas. That was my job. And, and aren't you glad that you made that decision to, to uh, not stay at that job and, and educate and, and things like that? Imagine if you didn't make that financial move that, when you did it. Think about that. Imagine whatever that was, that moment in your life that you said, you know what, I'm going to make, there's some risk involved in this, there's some things that I, I'm unsure of involved in this, but I'm going to make the decision. You're looking back at that and you're going, thank God that I made that decision. But do we really truly understand the weight of our decisions uh, until they are really played out? I mean, we can calculate and decide on the best course of action, and that is important, but until time takes its course, we, can we really know within 100% that we made the right decision or everything's going to play out exactly like uh, you planned? I, I know that your marriage is like that. that. That was a joke. Maybe you have a perfect marriage. So do I. 
Next point. Um, you know, just think about those decisions, and, and, and it's impossible. It's important that we make decisions, we calculate it, we do all the things that we could, we can do, but there's, when you look back at your decisions, you're like, well, I, without a doubt, you can say, well, I didn't calculate for that. I didn't calculate for that, but I still made the right decision. And so, we're going to see today a person who became a follower of Jesus, because we're at the beginning of this series, the third week, we're talking about following a follower of Jesus through a decision that would, would impact not only him, but others for, for generations. We're journeying with Jesus as he once again extended an invitation to follow him. It, it's, it's not a tax collector uh, or at a tax collector's booth like we've we journeyed over the last couple of weeks, but it's at the edge of the sea. And we can relate to that, right? In Matthew 9, over the last two weeks, we observed that Jesus' posture in eating with tax collectors and sinners had two messages that we observed. One was this for followers, that your words and your actions coexist. Who you say as a follower of Christ, does it play out in your actions? Do they coexist? And Jesus exemplified that in Matthew 9 by saying to Matthew, uh, Matthew, I'm going to go, follow me. And then he, he, he takes his words, he puts it into actions, and he shows up at Matthew's house, and the message is not just for Matthew, but it's for the observers that are on uh, outside of the house looking in, saying, why is your Savior eating with sinners and tax collectors? And so he was exemplifying his word and actions coexisting. Secondly, for, for those who are not believers, the message was nothing disqualifies anyone from an audience with Jesus. Amen? And so the context of Luke, in the context of today's story, Jesus is at another house. It's at Peter's house. He's not called Peter, he's called Simon in this moment. He's there because he, he, he isn't wanted in his own town, Nazareth. And he ends up in Capernaum casting out a demon, and he now is at Peter's house, Simon, before he even calls Simon to follow him. He's there and he heals his mother-in-law on the Sabbath from a high fever, a fever that she had. And people are coming to him, so he finds a solitary place. And you've got to know with Jesus, there's always these two tensions going on. There's people that are gathered and following him that, that uh, want healing. They're, they're curious about this Jesus. They're not sure about him, but they're curious about it early on in his ministry. And then we have the religious elite that are following him, questioning his every move. And so he finds a solitary place from it all. And, and this sets the stage for what's next. This story is not only told by Luke, but also by Matthew. And so if you look at both, both gospels, you'll notice that one person is more detailed than the other person. Matthew is less detailed. If, I know there's people in the room that just want to get to the point. Well, the book of Matthew is probably for you. He says in this story, at once they left their nets and followed him. End of story. No details. And then he moves on to verse 22, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Now think about the details of what it is for them to leave the job that they had, the decision, remember we talked about the decision that they made to have this job and, and to leave not only the job, but left their parents, left their father. But Matthew adds no detail. When we read Matthew's account, not only is, is, is it sometimes unrealistic in its lack of details, but Luke gives the background as, as to how and why this happened. It says, now you'll notice, one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake, the Sea of Galilee, 
same place. The people crowded around him and listening to the word of God. And so it's giving you a visual picture of what's going on here in Luke chapter 5. Jesus is at the water's edge. There is a huge crowd. And people were there listening to Jesus to teach the word of God. The crowd is pushing him back to the water's edge. And he turns around and he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And if you, if you know anything about fishing like I do, just kidding, you will know that the reason they are washing their nets is because they're done fishing. It, it, it was mid-morning, but you fish at night because the water is cooler at the top and fish came up to feed. And when the sun rises, the water gets warm, which drives the fish down deeper. And so you fish early. So they are done fishing. And their nets are pulled out and they're washing them. So Jesus, he got into one of the boats because the, the crowd was pushing against him. And the one belonging to Simon, remember Simon? Simon is home, he heals, Jesus heals Simon's mother-in-law. He must have some wonderful relationship with his mother-in-law, right? I'm going to leave that alone. And he asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So now all the people can, can come to the water's edge. And so he has some distance. And, and they are on the bank of the, uh, the Sea of Galilee. Luke gives all these details. It's not just, just Peter here. It's Andrew, James, and John are there. And when, when Jesus finishes his teaching, he gives an invitation. Not, not, not a come forward invitation, but let's go fishing invitation. Now watch Jesus is going, giving them information about what it is to follow him. And he says, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Jesus makes an unexpected, somewhat irrational re request. He doesn't say, abandon your family business. But he says, he gives Peter a baby step. Since we're already out here, he says, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, this is something he can do. I mean, obviously, he could literally do this. But what, what we just cleaned and dried our nets from today's work. Simon answered him, and he uses this very interesting word, not rabbi, not Lord, but he uses the word master. It's a, it's a sign of, of respect. He's heard about Jesus in the synagogue. He saw Jesus heal his mother-in-law, but not a follower of Jesus yet. And so he uses that word master. We've worked hard all day, all night, and haven't caught anything. And so we haven't caught anything when we were supposed to catch anything. What are the chances of us catching something when the fish, the fish are already gone deeper into the water because of the heat of the sun? And if my memory is right, Jesus, you're a carpenter, not a fisherman. And people are watching. They, they live by the sea. And if these, these people see uh, uh, Peter fishing during the day, it's a somewhat of a, an embarrassment to, to them because they know different. And here's the transition point. If, you, if I can gather all of you this morning on the edge of the water, everyone in this room for a moment, those of you who have walked away from your faith but making your way back, those of you who, who have no faith, those of you who've allowed your relationship with God to become a little flat, you know the songs, you know all, you know how, how the lingo goes, you know how church goes, but your relationship with God is flat. And it's predictable. And, and, and lost its, its grit, its strength. 
And this is the tension. This is the transition point for Peter. This is inconvenient. It may not work out, but he says here, but because you say so, it's, it's probably going to cost me a day, some reputation, some money, but I will let down the nets. Now think of what, what they didn't know in this moment. Think about what hung in the balance of their decision. Remember how our decisions have impact. They, they had no idea what hung in the balance of their decision. If they had not met, they had already, if they had not met and followed Jesus, these guys would have been forgotten names in the history of the Bible. They wouldn't be remembered if they didn't obey in that moment. So let me ask you, do you know who and what hangs in the balance of you following Jesus? Do you know that? Have you contemplated that? Let me show you Peter's decision here and the impact of that decision on him and others throughout Scripture. From the moment to obey Jesus on that water, look at Peter's impact in his entire time in Scripture. First, Peter joins the disciples and witnessed the power of God. He attempted to walk on water in Matthew 14. He would deny Jesus three times in Matthew 26 because a part of our journey isn't, is the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? That makes up our lives. And Peter is not exempt from that. Later, he would redeem himself as one of the leading apostles after Jesus had gone in Mark 16 and John 18. And after Jesus had rose from the dead and had gone and left the apostles to establish the kingdom of God, Peter preaches to the people who gathered in Acts 2. A profound story, a foundational story in the history of church history. Church history. And, second, and next, Peter was sent to Samaria to lay hands on new believers and, in Acts 2. So we're looking at the circumference of Peter's life from the top down. Peter was in prison in Acts 12, and the people prayed and the chains came off. He walked past two guards into the courtyard before he realized he wasn't dreaming because small decisions in one moment means impact in another. You need to remember that. He wrote two books after his name to encourage new believers in Asia Minor. If he had not met and decided to follow Jesus, they would have been forgotten. Yet even history records Peter in our time. He was buried in the Basilica of Peter in Rome. It took 120 years to build this building, the picture that you see. This is built over the tomb of Peter and is built right over Nero's circus, which was the arena where he would kill Christians. Like a circus. He would place, put out wild animals and they would chase down Christians and, and kill them. He would, he would put tar on people's head and he would light them afire for a circus. And this is what they build Peter's, Peter's tomb over, this building here. Over that site, as the forefather, they didn't want to build anything to Nero, but they wanted to build to Peter. Your decisions in this moment. He was faithful, he was stubborn, he was denying, he was believing, he was, he was a leadership influencing, he was a powerful force for the kingdom of God. And it all started by obeying God in a moment when it logically didn't make sense to obey. But here's Peter in Luke 5 thinking, why would I put my net when I know there's nothing to be caught in that net? He had no idea what hung in the balance of him deciding to obey Jesus in this small moment. 
We don't know the impact of our obedience, do we? In saying yes now to whatever God is prompting us to do. What's God prompting you to do? That relationship that you might miss, that joy you may participate in, that hope you may bring to a person's life by saying no to a simple invitation to be obedient to God in this moment. Don't dismiss the small, insignificant things God is doing on the water. And for you, the water is the obvious moments in your life. Obedience in this moment could mean a display of God's power in another moment. That child that you are praying for, that's away from God, that that healing you need, your faithfulness to be obedient in God's word now. Let's be honest. For some of us, our relationship with God right in this moment is a little boring. And every now and then, God challenges you to do something and you talk yourself out of it. Jesus is standing in the boat. They cast down their net when when they had done so, not when they considered it. Not when they calculated, not if they wondered if they would get some type of an income from this. The risk was already there when they had done so, it says. When they actually did what Jesus asked them, you see, throughout Jesus' teaching, he said it is not enough just to listen. Listening makes no difference. Listening is like those cans of paint you bought last year. Unapplied paint makes no difference, does it? It is when our words and our actions coexist makes the big, biggest difference. And when their faith in Luke 5, you're thinking about those cans of paint now, aren't you? I got them too. <laughs> when their faith intersected with the character and the faithfulness of Jesus, everything changed. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the boat, other boat, to come on over and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, hurry up and get it ashore before DFO regulates the catch. (laughs) And we get nothing for it. We'll be rich for months. Immediately, Peter offered Jesus a contract with 15% ownership with a three-year non-compete after the contract was done by either party. And Peter's only concern was if this model will scale. You'll get that later. Fish, yeah. See? Oh, man, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. Fish was the furthest thing from his mind. And he said, look what what he says, go away from me, Lord. Now notice here, a new title, not master, Lord. Suddenly, it is a title of authority, it's a title of ownership. And why would he say this, go away from me, Lord? He tells us, I am a sinful, next slide, I am a sinful man. You see, Peter was inches apart from Jesus, but In his heart, Peter was nowhere close. And you might know a lot about God, but do you truly know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? You could be inches apart from Jesus, but in in your heart, do you really know Christ? 
Because Peter's idea of God, based on his learning of religion, based on his, the Torah, based on the religious leaders around him, was that God distanced himself from sinners. And now he comes face to face with the fact that Jesus isn't just a great teacher, but this person standing in front of him on his boat was God, was Jesus in the boat with him. And Jesus had come to establish a brand new kind of relationship, a new covenant. And sinful people were at the top of the list of of people whom Jesus wanted to spend time with. And that's what I love about water baptism. Today in both services, we we, we baptize three and I think it is eight or nine in the next one. We've baptized and going to baptize people who before they began this journey with Jesus, some didn't believe in Christ. Atheist, agnostic, but now have made a, rela- made a choice to serve this Christ that we serve. A brand new Christian, another one, that had been journeying in our small group and just this week gave her life to Jesus. Pastor Rob had a, 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 the privilege of leading her to the Lord. This is where you're supposed to clap, by the way. Just wondering if you were. It's amazing. Others who are connected to followers of Christ here and through journeying with followers of Christ have made that commitment. And it's all possible because Jesus established a new kind of covenant and sinful people were at the top of that list for whom Jesus wanted to spend time with. You, me. And it says, for he, he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's uh, partners. Then said, then Jesus said something that he he would say over and over and over again. And it's usually when they're on water. It's usually what I say when I'm on water. Or it's usually what I feel when I'm on water. And he says, don't be afraid. Now that you've seen me heal, now that you've seen me control nature, from now on, you will fish for people. And what he was saying was, let's go change the world together. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. There it is again. And these four people would die with nothing. They would die with nothing, including regret. Well, of course we would follow him because if God did something like that for me, I would follow him as well, right? In Luke 5. And to that, I'm guessing Peter would remind us of what he did for us. He reminds us in the letters he wrote to the church in Asia Minor. This is the same Jesus who allowed Peter to follow him and showed him evidence of him in his teachings in the synagogue, the healing of his mother-in-law. And he ends up on the water with Jesus. And Jesus so impacted Peter's life with evidence of who Jesus was that Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.23, when they hurled their insults at him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And Peter is saying, my friend Jesus hung there and said nothing. And later when Jesus was arrested, I ran and I denied Jesus. I stood around the crowd with my hoodie up because I was afraid I would be recognized at watching and realizing this was no mere man dying here. And it dawned on us, Peter said, it dawned on us. He himself bore our sins in his body 
on the cross. This is fascinating because this is the same Peter that watched him neglected and, and really thrown away from the town that he grew up in. This is the same Peter that saw Jesus get away and at Peter's house healing his mother-in-law and on the water's edge and this miracle of fish. And not only was this fascinating, this is the same Peter that saw Jesus crucified. Not just crucified. Rose from the dead. And he says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins. He is writing this to the people being persecuted in Asia Minor. What this means, can you imagine? Peter in the boat said, go away from me. I am a sinful man. But now he understood, instead of, of being separated from God, it means we are no longer dead to being separated from God. And now it is not only possible to have a relationship with God, he says, next slide, and live with righteousness. Now we have permission to live fearlessly because when our Savior has harnessed the power of nature and overcome the power of disease and sin and death, what is there to fear? We can live free. Then he says, by his wounds you have been healed. It means you can be restored and made right with God. Peter, who asked God to leave him because of his sin in Luke 5, is writing to you and I in 1 Peter to say, he filled my boat with fish and I believe, but for you, because of the act of Jesus on the cross, you do not need to say, leave me, but come near to me. By his wounds, I am healed. That, church, is life-changing. And when Peter made that simple decision to get into the boat and cast out his net, his faith intersects with Jesus' faithfulness and it changed everything. So let me ask you today, as we end, and as the band returns, what is that one thing God is asking you to do? What's God asking you? Maybe you need to come back to faith. Maybe you need to discover faith for the first time in Christ. Maybe it's reconciling a relationship that you haven't. Maybe for some it is moral purity. You have embraced the sexual ethic of this culture and it's eating you away and you're not happy and God is saying, come, follow me. Walk away from that. And others, it is maybe serving uh, or in a small group to get out of that bo- pattern of boredom in your life and get into a, a community of people who have faith and are, can strengthen your relationship with Christ. Maybe it's stuff that you hold on to. And those things are your gods in your life. Maybe God is saying it's time for you to give, not, not just to the church, type of giving that's open-handed, where it doesn't belong to you and you help others around you. Why? Because obedience in this moment could mean a display of God's power in another moment. And the decision that you make in this moment, whose life? What moment is it affecting down the road in your life or someone else's life? You do not know the impact of your obedience now and what it could mean for something or someone down the road.
Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.